When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? Well, happy birthday, church. Uh, before we get started, I want to share a little bit with where we're going to be going in the coming weeks. And we've been using the lectionary and following the church calendar. And the church calendar enters a time now that's called ordinary time. And that's the time between Pentecost and when we enter Advent again, which for the church is really the beginning of the year. Over the summer, we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians. And my thought there is it is encouragement amidst absence. Paul is in jail and he's writing this letter of encouragement to those that he can't physically be with. And so there may be some implications for us at Spring Creek. We're working on the physical presence part of our gathering, but we want to continue to encourage one another. And so as we talk about encouragement in the spirit this morning, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for this story of the Holy Spirit coming and empowering your church, equipping and strengthening and reminding. And I pray that this morning in the words I speak, in the words that we have read out of Scripture, that this would remind us and strengthen us and equip us to continue to be part of your mission in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, at the beginning of this story, we find the disciples of Jesus kind of in isolation. They've gathered together. Uh, we've been told back in Luke that they have been meeting regularly. They've been worshiping together. They have been praying together, and they've been expecting to be clothed in power from on high. That was Jesus' promise at the end of Luke. And so here they are waiting, and it's Pentecost. Pentecost was a celebration of the first fruits. The first crops of the year were beginning to be harvested, and they dedicated those to God. At least out in my garden, I've got lettuce coming up, and soon we'll have uh, some blueberries and strawberries, and so we're seeing those first fruits start to come. 
the Jewish people also celebrated this as a time of receiving the law. And so they recognize this time already as a time when God has spoken and revealed God's self. And so there's a hint of what's going to happen at this new Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down on the disciples. And Luke writes that it sounds like the rush of a violent wind and tongues of fire rest on each of them, which I think is just kind of a, a strange way to visualize this event, the, the wind and these tongues of fire. Filled with the Holy Spirit, then the disciples go out. It's a, this holy day of Pentecost has brought in people from all over the place. The, the dispersed, the diaspora Jews are finding their way back to Jerusalem for this special time of worship and, and dedication. And as the disciples go out to proclaim the good news, people from all over the known world are hearing the message in their native language. You know, translating the Word of God into different languages so that people can understand the good news has been a part of our history and a part of our tradition, but it's also an important belief for the followers of Jesus. The Hebrew Scriptures, even before Jesus, had been translated into Greek so that people that were being dispersed all over the, the Greek world could understand the Holy Scriptures. Throughout Christian history, the Bible has been translated into other languages to make the good news of Jesus Christ accessible for lots of people. First, the, the Bible, which was originally written in, in Hebrew, in Greek, it was translated into Latin. And then for a time, the church tried to hold on to that Latin language for a, for a long time. And only the educated priests could really read scriptures, and, and honestly, some of them couldn't even do that very well. Slowly, people like John Wycliffe and Jan Hus were trying to translate the Bible into languages that the common people could read and understand. In fact, it's their translating work that got both of these men condemned and executed. Today's scriptures continue to be translated into native languages to make them accessible. <clears throat> So why does this matter? Well, first, it, it reflects the incarnation. Jesus came as the, the Logos, the, the Word or the explanation of God. You know, it's important for us as followers of Jesus that God does not stay far away, untouchable and unknowable. But instead, God reveals God's self and God's character in and through Jesus. And so God cares about communicating and revealing God's self and God's love to his creatures, to his image bearers, us as humans. You know, in some other faith traditions, their holy scriptures can only be read in certain languages. For example, in Islam, the Quran can only be properly read in Arabic. But the Christian faith is a little different. Because God wants to make God's self known. 
Disciples go out to speak and they're heard in people's native languages. These tongues that they're speaking, that the disciples are out spreading the good news, are not unintelligible heavenly languages. We'll read more about that from Paul in some of his writings. But here, these languages are ones that people can understand. They hear, they understand, and they know. And what we see is they respond to this good news. You know, I'm thankful for church scholars who understand Greek and Hebrew. They help give us nuances and insight into what the Bible authors are trying to convey to us about who God is, about who Jesus is. But God wants to make God's self known even to people who don't know Greek and Hebrew. And so this is one of the reasons why the Bible has been translated into lots of different languages so that people all over the world can hear of the love of Jesus, can hear about repentance and forgiveness of sins that we've been talking about in the last several weeks. So why does this matter for us? Because God speaks your language. And God wants to reveal and invite everyone to know the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and what that means for us. Some of us have been learning a new language over the last couple of weeks, and this new language is called technology. And we have found that uh, for many of us, this technology language is not a native language. Let me give you just a little bit of an example. For a number of our Bible studies and small groups, we've been using Zoom to connect with one another visually and to hear one another. It's not as good as being with one another, but at least we get to see some familiar faces. And let me say that I've been really impressed by how people at Spring Creek have adapted. You know, we have three to five people call in to listen to the service each week. And we've been joined by some of our senior saints by video each Wednesday during our Bible study time. It's been fun to see people adapt to using Zoom and see people hunting for the mute button on Zoom. Or people have called me asking how they can log in from their computers or their iPad after they've forgotten passwords or aren't sure how to connect and I've tried to walk them through. But just a hint, I don't actually know your passwords and so I can only get you so far in that. And then on the other hand, we have our young adults who have been using Zoom for a while and they've uh, been doing some of their education online. And for more of our young adults, this technology is a more native language. First of all, they're using virtual backgrounds. They know where the chat boxes are. They know where the thumbs up and the clap buttons are. They know it all. Even my kids have figured out how to flip their picture upside down while they're chatting with their teachers. So uh, that's not a practice I recommend if you're getting introduced to Zoom. When we end our meeting, those who aren't fluent with the Zoom technology are hunting for the end meeting button. And so it takes people quite a while to figure out where that button is and end it, or else they just wait for me to end it and then they don't have to worry about that. 
But our young adults, as soon as we're done meeting, they're gone. I don't know what that says about the time that we've met, uh, but they know where those buttons are right away. It reminds me, too, a little bit of my ability or lack of ability to speak Hausa, which is the national language in Nigeria. I know Sanu and Lafia, which is kind of the standard greeting. You're wishing somebody health. Once when we were in Nigeria, someone said to me Sanu, and I said Lafia, and then they started to go on in Hausa, expecting, because I had said hello, that I could then understand them. They were disappointed when I said, I'm sorry, that's all I know. After that, I'm a little lost when it comes to speaking other languages. You know, technology is a new language for some of us. I wonder, how does the church use this language to continue to communicate good news? Because it seems that it's here, it's around, we've been using it, and I believe that we'll probably continue to use technology to communicate with one another, to communicate the good news to others uh, around the world. I think we're seeing a little bit of how the digital language is one we've been forced to learn more about during this time. You know, I'm thankful that the folks at Spring Creek had some young and some old dreaming dreams and, and seeing visions of how we could better speak the language of technology before this whole health crisis thing started. And so we had a lot of technology things in place. We were somewhat equipped and had a, a decent idea of how to speak this language when we needed to use it. But as with learning any language, there's challenges. You know, people of different cultures think differently. For instance, there's a difference between a Western, maybe more American mindset versus a, an Eastern, maybe Oriental way of thinking. And you know, our languages actually reflect that. Western language uses an alphabet with characters that reflect phonetic sounds, and so we can kind of logically put words together using these sounds. But some Oriental cultures write in characters that reflect ideas, and so they think more in a broad um, sense, and their writing reflects that. Well, you know, technology or digital natives also have some differences. We just don't always notice those because folks look the same. You know, whole volumes have been written on how the digital revolution has impacted the way we think and process. But just some basics for us this morning. We're influenced by visuals. Digital natives tend to process things more emotionally and, and maybe less rationally as those who grew up reading and studying out of textbooks where th arguments and, and information is laid out in a very logical fashion. When we view things on screens and we can kind of scroll up and down or we're gathering it from a video, we tend to process things a little bit more emotionally. Another way that this is impacted uh, folks that are digital natives is our focus and our attention span has been shortened. You know, society has tended towards this idea of multitasking. 
And so we have a tendency to pay attention to every ding and notification that gets our attention. Let's face it, even during this morning's worship, how many times did you check your phone? Did you check a a notification that, that popped up? It's interesting that some of the social media that some of our younger people are using uh, are very short attention span uh, ways of communicating. For instance, TikTok videos are limited to 15 seconds. You can group a couple of those together, but you wonder how, many, how much information you can get across in 15 seconds. On Instagram, videos are limited to one minute. And so let me just speak for um, a few seconds, well, 15 seconds to a minute to our digital natives. Ready? Your church, we love you. God loves you. Jesus Christ lived, died, rose again, ascended, repent, forgiveness. Awesome! But also, your church, we love you. And God loves you. And God speaks your language and wants you to know that God loves you. And your church, we are trying to learn a new language. But sometimes it's like me speaking Hausa or Spanish or really any other language. I mean, I can say, hola, me amo Adam, and then I get a little stuck. So hang in with us. I want us to know that what we see in the way the disciples proclaim this good news is important because God speaks your language. God moved into the neighborhood in Jesus. God wants to communicate in words, in actions, in love, the love of God. That we are forgiven because of what Jesus has done on the cross. God speaks your language. God knows what you're going through. God knows what you're experiencing and how you're feeling. And so I think that's really important and really, really good news for all of us.